Hello, and welcome to the Leela Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Tate. This is the show for raw conversations about life and business. Connect, laugh, and enjoy with this week's episode. Welcome to the Leela Life Show. I'm your host, Linda Tate. And today's episode, I have a very special guest, a guest who doesn't need too much of an introduction, but I will give my best, uh, Ricky Williams. He is co-founder of Real Wellness, an astrologer, and also a former NFL superstar in the Hall of Fame and um, a Heisman winner. And from the South Florida, where I reside in West Palm, but we're playing for the Dolphins for some time. So you have a big, big house of fans in in my neck of the woods. And uh, Welcome, Ricky. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This episode feels like a full circle for me in my life. And I I mentioned how I did my yoga teacher training at the Shivananda Ashram in Paradise Island. And Ricky, you like gave me the courage to be more vocal and open about my yoga coming from a more conservative uh, background. I'm like, well, Ricky's doing yoga, and uh, I actually would go late to high school to go to yoga, like secretly, to help me be a better swimmer. So, uh, wow, yeah, wow. It's, it is. It, it was like right at the kind of beginning of yoga for athletics, and I was like, "There's something here," and this is like early 2000s, so Bikram was the most mainstream at the time. Right. And I would just try out the studios. But if you think then the internet wasn't really what it is today. So it was these really like bootleg websites. And I would find myself, I was literally like 16, 17, going to people's houses for yoga before high school to be a better swimmer. Wow. You, you were ahead of your time. Yeah, I was ahead of something. And there's the funniest photo of me like sitting as a young kid in like lotus pose. And I wasn't even a meditator or anything. I'll, I'll have to find it and send it to you. But um, wow. yeah, it was sort of like this energy that was in me, but didn't know how to how to come out. And so being connected with you today feels really cool. You know, it, re- it reminds me of the first the first time I took a Shivananda yoga class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in Northern California. There's an ashram in Grass Valley. And the school where I studied Ayurveda was also in Grass Valley. And so we had a, a swami from the ashram come to teach our class yoga every Tuesday and Thursday. And I remember that after the first class, I, I walked up to him and I said, I don't know what that was, but you got to tell me where I can get where I can get more of this. And I remember doing the, doing the pranayama and, you know, sweat like pouring down and it was really intense for me. And, and I, you know, I went up to the teacher and I said, this was really intense. And he looked at me and he said, maybe you've been doing this before, you know, maybe maybe you've done this before. And and when he said that to me, again, I, I was fresh off of the, being a football player. And so this was a whole new world for me. When he said that to me, it, it, it touched something deeply in me and it reminded me that maybe I, I had been doing this before and you know, good memories. I, mean, I, I really, I spent a decent amount of time at, at the ashram in, in the Bahamas and it's a cool spot. Really Such a cool, cool spot. spot. The one thing that you talk about destabilizing is walking from the ashram. If you like venture over to Atlantis and you're like, Whoa, you literally get all of, all of the world in, yeah, in a right few there. short steps and then a whole other side of the world. And, um, one question I have that 
is like very heavy on my heart in terms of athletics and performance. But when you start going down this like path of enlightenment, let's say, yeah, can you be as high level as an athlete when you start having these awarenesses? And I have my own like theories and ideas around this, but I'd love to hear what you think about this. Well, it's it's an interesting question, and I and uh, I've I've obviously wrestled with this the same question, and I, the best way I I know to answer it is that I think when you get on the path of enlightenment, priorities change, mm-hmm. and so I, I think our definition of changes of what being a high level athlete is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you I'll give you an example from my life. All right, so okay. before before I started on the spiritual path, you know, I won the Heisman Trophy and. And I broke all, all kinds of records and even led the NFL in rushing for a year. Okay. And then it was, it was like, it was like, I was like, I reached the top, you know, and I expected there to be like harps playing and golden. That's <laughs> what <laughs> I was told. And it, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> there wasn't. And so for me, I, I realized what I'm looking for, I'm not going to find here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I retired from from football. And at the time, I thought I was never, ever, 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 ever coming back to play football again. All right. And I thought, even if I wanted to, I had burned so many bridges that it wasn't possible. All right. And so a year later, I I start my, my spiritual journey. I find yoga. I take yoga teacher's training. I learn about Ayurveda. I mean, I, learn, I start learning astrology. And the door is open for me to come back to the NFL. All right. And, and I come back and after spending a, like a year purely on a purely spiritual journey, I mean, hiking up the Himalayas and meditating in caves and, and just being so far away from the football world mm-hmm. and really like a, an amazing jump start to my spiritual path. And then I came back into to being a football player and it was difficult. It was a difficult kind of integration of the two sides of, of myself, but as I started to make that integration, my performance, okay, it changed, all mm-hmm. right? I wasn't carrying the ball as much. I was, so I wasn't, didn't have the opportunity to be as productive, but I was making more money, I was more efficient, and I was doing much less damage to my body. And I had uh, a more holistic life. You know, mm-hmm. I had interest in, in things that I was doing. And so I was still performing at a very high level, but I was performing at a high level in a way that was more holistic. I wasn't having to, to cut off and, and destroy parts of myself in, in order to have the success. And so where I, I think I'm, before it was all about being as successful in the outer world as possible. And a lot of times to the detriment of my whole my wholeness. And after I started my spiritual path, it was more of finding a way to integrate my athletic excellence into a into a larger framework. And I think that's specifically true for, for most athletes because our our physical ability to perform at a high level, you know, peaks at a certain age. And whether we like it or not, you know, other parts of our lives have to start to become more important. And I think, you know, before before you started recording, we were talking about this. And it's to me, it's been so important to take all of the passion and energy and expertise and training that I've done as an athlete and have another place to ch- have other places to channel that same kind of passion to, to build off of it. Because I realize 
thank goodness I realized halfway through my career that no matter how successful I was as a football player, it was only going to be a platform to what, to what comes after. And that perspective, I think, has really helped me make the transition out of football into finding other areas where I can experience even more passion and joy and growth and learning. That's powerful. I think every athlete at some point, whether it's a pivot or a complete end, their athletic career is going to end, right? Or like I said, pivot. And so to have that foresight, like you're saying, of like the excellence in athletics being the platform for now, like this this um, whole other path as a healer, you know, almost became, let's make this as magnetized as I can with athletics. And it's just going to propel this healing journey, not as an ego standpoint, but as like a reach is really truly what I feel like a healing reach. Um, but interesting to see how you had that awareness of, to leverage that earlier on where I feel like it's so easy to be so hyper-focused in athletics. Like for me, when swimming, it was my last semester of college and I was like, oh my gosh, now I have to get a job. Right. And I like took a job. I was 22 selling life insurance in New Jersey. And I'm like, I took the job. Like, and I just was so confused. And that all was very much part of my own like healing then journey too. But it's like kind of confusing that end of whether even it's athletics or a career or a chapter in your life transitioning to, you know, something else. You know, my story looks a little bit different, but I did exactly the same thing. You know, when when everybody I re- does. Exactly. Yeah. When, I was, when, I, when people ask me if there is anything in your life that you could do different, the one, and I don't like having an answer, but I do have an answer. And it is, it's, when I won the Husband Trophy and left college, I would have taken a year and just traveled. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have jumped into being a professional football player. You know, I would have... I would have realized, you know, wow, I've created something amazing and I've opened a lot of doors for myself. Now let me enjoy, enjoy the fruits of my, of my labor and see what, and see what's left, left over after that. And I think if I would have gone on like a victory lap or a victory tour of just enjoying being a Heisman Trophy winner and traveling the world and getting a chance to know who I am, NFL would have still been there. If, mm-hmm. if, if that's what I would have wanted, wanted to have do but I, I just think and I said it before like this this path from being a kid into moving into being an adult mm-hmm. it's it's a treacherous journey you know and, and I think we don't have enough we don't have enough mentors or elders or initiations or rites of passage to, to really help us do better in this this area like like when I hear initiation, I'm immediately thinking like shaman or little like tribal village and kind of like the olden times, what initiation could look like. What I have trouble with is thinking like, what could initiation look like for youth in 2019? Well, then I think that's the question that we need to start asking, you know, and I think we can learn a lot from the, the tribal rituals, but they need to be modernized and brought right. into you know, like, and I, I kind of joke with my with my oldest son, my seventeen year old. You know, I, I tell him, you know, and the, what they would do in the tribal village is is they would kidnap they would kidnap the the boys out of their out of their mother's house in the middle of the night. You know, and literally scare them to death, right? <laughs> and let them know that like childhood, like, is over. You, know? <laughs> you need to start preparing yourself to be to be a warrior. And, and part of it was, was training, you know, mm-hmm. that they got some kind of way to, under, to understand the world philosophically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I, and I, 
I mean, I could go on and on about the loss of religion, but, but it's just, there's so many things that are, have been pushed underground into the unconscious. And, and one of the things is this initiation, right? And so like all of my kids are going through, like they're struggling right now. They're going mm-hmm. through kind of a deep depression. And what happens is, you know, th- this anxiety and this depression that, that is epidemic, it seems in the young people, it's their initiation, you know, it's an unconscious initiation, right? It's that same suffering of, and struggling with being ripped from the matrix of, of the home and the family and the culture and needing to go on and, and create your own life. And so it's just an unconscious initiation, which has, you know, very dangerous consequences. And I think, you know, to, to look at it squarely and to start to think about and ask those questions, how can we create some kinds of, meaningful rituals or rites of passage to help people embrace responsibility. Well, you, and when, that's what keeps coming up when how we started, but talking about personal responsibility, let's say for the youth of saying like your life is your personal responsibility. And then having like practical applications of that. And I think for myself personally, like, it's sort of like life didn't add up to me, right? Like I call the twenties the lot the lost decade. Like yeah. I didn't understand that like you have to like work and create a lifestyle and like it just didn't all add up. And it, and if there was one thing that was sort of like amiss, it was the practical application of personal responsibility to be like a, a successful. What I mean by that is like able to live <laughs> in, in our country, um, as an adult. Right. And it, and it wasn't that everything was so bad, but there was definitely some hard learning curves. And, um, I, I find it interesting that you're, you're mentioning like your kids going through that anxiety and depression. Like I felt that bubble up for me very much in my teens, but in a way that I always felt like was somewhat related to maybe sport or like pressure, uh, but then be that like disconnect to self and that be really evident. And then I'm in my twenties and have to like learn myself and become an adult. But like, could that all connect where the personal responsibility is almost the way to look anxiety and depression in a way exactly, it's exa- like that's in exactly, the face. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, and you nailed something. I think one of the areas where there is still, some semblance of, of initiation and initiatory rights is in sports, mm-hmm. especially high level collegiate sports and beyond, because you're, there is a personal responsibility, you know, at least in my college program, you know, we had to live, and I know the swimmers, goodness gracious, <laughs> <laughs> we had to be there at 7.15 to lift weights. And if we didn't, there was consequences. And, and I learned I'm sick. I don't feel good. Those excuses, they don't work, you know? And so I, I, in the context of football, I had to learn to take responsibility, accountability, and, and learn to deal with being hit in the face. And so it gave me a, a lot of the experiences I needed to prepare me for, for being an adult. And, and I think that's one area where we still, we still it's have. It's like the locked in, you're going to get that. Exactly. Exactly. And then you're like an adult and you look around and you're like, why, why aren't people trying harder? Like, you know, there was this disconnect of being an athlete and then being in the quote unquote real world. Yeah. But I think it was, you had like a supercharged initiation of humanness. You, I'm telling you, you know that I had a good friend of mine played football with me in college and, and he got a job, a good job working for a big, um, uh, for HEB, a big supermarket chain in, in their health and wellness department. 
And he would, would talk to me about how frustrated he was that no one in there knew how to work as a team. No one knew how to take personal responsibility and they were all lazy. And, and it just made me like reflect on how unfortunate it is that so many football players, professional football players, collegiate football players, after football, they're having a difficult time finding their way in the world when they have actually been prepared more than most people to be successful in the world. You know? Yeah. And the other piece of that I find just scratching my head about athletics is like, Right. There's this physicality to athletics that you would think connects to health. And you and I both know that it it often doesn't. Right. There's overuse. Yeah, Yeah. there's the injury. And I think just the huge disconnect from health and wellness for athletes. But sometimes they're like the, the hottest looking or fittest looking that you could see. But this this huge often disconnect from like true health. Yeah. Mental health. I mean, physical health, it's emotional health. Like maybe it's starting to get better and maybe programs are incorporating all these facets to it. But it was like in college, literally a dining hall with like the crappiest food. And, you know, it's like, wait, how can you be a healthy athlete when these are your options? Yeah. And I can only hope that it gets better. But, you know, you as a wellness professional, like, seeing a whole different side of wellness that like for me, sometimes I'm like, God, what would athletics felt like if we had prioritized like true health and wellness? I, I, you know, and and again, I think that's really, that whole thing is really what's motivated me to, to move towards health and wellness is, is being an athlete. I remember one day I was in the training room and I was watching guys come in one by one to get their Tordal pills, you know, and Mm. Tordal is a very strong inset, anti-inflammatory that, you know, over a long, long term, it's not good for your kidneys or your liver. And realizing that for football players to feel good enough to have a decent practice, we have to pop pills on a daily basis. Right. I started to think there has to be, a, there has to be a different way to do this. And, and I took it on myself to, to do an experiment to see if I could go the rest of the season without needing to take pills. Mm-hmm. So it got me exploring things like yoga, mm-hmm you know, spending 15 minutes before practice, just getting my body prepared, just finding other ways that I can take care of myself without having to resort to, to taking the pills from the doctor. And I learned a lot about myself and about my body. And I, and I realized that this is really what's missing in professional sports is the, the advantage I think that athletes have is they have a hyper awareness of their bodies and what's needed is the education of how to use that awareness to, to create, wellness and health. There's a a friend of mine that had passed on from like opioid overdose. And, you know, I had later found out that he had gotten hooked on the pills from college, you know, college football after a surgery. And, you know, I know that that's one of many stories that that same thing has happened to. And, you know, this opioid crisis that we find ourselves in, you know, as a country and as I think globally, you could say this is happening, but again, it's like to go to practice, I need these anti-inflammatory pills and like what what that unfolds from that. And, you know, I know that's part of your healing mis- mission with like real wellness and the herb herbs that you're putting together, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the big thing for me and the, the, the kind of aha moment was, is, you know, when I retired in 2004 and I found myself in Northern California studying Ayurveda and, and learning about herbs and and what they can do and just learning about alternative medicine and, 
And I, I feel like as an athlete and just as a kid growing up with asthma and allergies and how much I suffered mm-hmm. and, and learning, and I started learning about that I could have easily been treated with natural medicine, but I just didn't have access to the information. I just think of like the amount of suffering um, that can be alleviated with, with just simple information that's alternative, you know, that, mm-hmm. and I think so many people, the trend with allopathic medicine, and, and I don't want to poo-poo it because it's been great. You know, when I tore my pec, they did a great job reattaching it. When I mm-hmm. broke my ankle, you know, they put, they put me back yeah. together. Um, and it, there's a lot of wonderful things it, it does, but there's also a big blind spot. And that's kind of the everyday holistic wellness and just being aware of your body and, and who you are and what you need and what you need to stay away from and attending to those, to those needs. So with real wellness, I wanted to create tools, uh, products, formulas that allow people to, to do that. And I, I feel like what, what we're creating with real wellness is really a, a tool for people and for their own personal healing rituals. And I think, and I think just even the idea that I can, I can put something in my body that's natural, that's going to help me feel better. I think even just that thought form is a healing thought form. Uh, you're reminding me of structured water. Are you seeing this a lot in California at all? Of course. Of yeah. Course. Uh, well, I found this little like structured water place. My brother has a gym in Jersey and it's actually Montclair and it's this very like random spot and they have the like triple filtered structured water with crystals. And, you know, they talk a lot about thought forms and like that, that idea of just saying to yourself little messages to ingest in a day the power of that over like needing any kind of pill, I think is sometimes underrated. Yeah. And the insight is, is to realize, cause you know, what you're talking about is just taking conscious control of our self-talk of what we're mm-hmm. telling ourselves. Cause if we're not typically, if we're not reminding ourselves of something, you know, there's negative reminders going on. <laughs> <laughs> 60,000 negative reminders. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think it's, I think it's, Bottom line, it's important to have a relationship with yourself, you know, and I think, you know, my life really started to transform when I started to, to listen to myself and to love myself and to trust myself. Do you think that in your experience, like, have you arrived or is that like the ongoing practice of self-love? Well, so I, when I arrived, the way I look at it is I think that we all have, I think when we're, when we're born, when we're thought, even when we're conceived of, right? As the thought that there's a, there's a unique potential or path that we all have. Um, and I think when we're born, you know, there's that unique path, but our community, our culture, our parents, our family, they have different ideas for what path we should take. And because, you know, they change our diapers and they feed us, we say, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And they make us they make us feel warm and accepted. We say okay, and so we follow their path. And I think when people are arriving or, or kind of getting there, it means that they have at least identified that they have a unique path, mm-hmm. and they're willing to commit to finding it and walking it. And then the rest is that's when to me that's when the true adventure starts. But the arrival is having arrived on the path, but you still the path doesn't ever. <laughs> it's always there if you're it's here. Always there. It's, it's, when you're on it, you know you know because there's so many synchronicities. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just can feel that you're co-creating your life with the universe. You know, it's kind of being in the flow, and and that's you know the idea of knowing that you've arrived. 
So I want to ask you, like cannabis can be tremendously therapeutic as well as like THC and I'm in Florida. So everything's like newer and it's not as easy and free as California. Um, But there's like the overconsumption, right? Or like the habitual or the unconscious. And what I'm curious in your experience is how you've navigated that line and how do you help people understand the difference between like therapeutic and healing use of, of that versus like the dampening and unplugging or turning off of the unconscious use? Yeah. Good. Great question. Um, that's an interesting question. So I, I think the, the, the way I like to talk about it is about developing a relationship, you know, and, and about bringing consciousness to, to, to your cannabis use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because it's been so taboo and, and stigmatized for so long that it's, it's complicated and mm-hmm. it requires a certain level of, of healing. You know, it's difficult, especially in a generation to go from something that was supposed to fry your brain to something that's supposed <laughs> to help your brain, you know? And so I, and I think people that have, used cannabis in the past that we all have wounds we all have scars from the judgments and and the negativity that we had the shame exactly all all of that and so it's difficult to receive from something when there's that 100 percent of the healing benefits when there's that ambivalence about is this good for me or is this not and so i i think the starting point at least for me was developing a personal relationship and part of that was a journey of, of trying to figure out what is this? Mm-hmm. What, why, why do I like this so much? Why am I been willing for me? Why have I been willing to risk, you know, my livelihood and, and a shit ton of money and over this thing? Um, and so when I retired in 2004, I, I kind of part of my journey or mission was to, to answer some of these questions. Um, and, you know, like I said, when you find your path, it, synchronicities start to show up. And so I was traveling around the world and I remember being in Fiji in the middle of Fiji, taking a bus across the island. And this, this young guy, he's probably 18 or 19, gets on and he has like a Tupperware bowl full of rice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he sits next to me and just really, really nice guy offers me rice. <laughs> I was hungry, so I was like, sure. So we had this interesting conversation. And when he got off the bus, he was like, hey, he's like, my cousins live up in the mountains and they have some really good marijuana. Would you like some? And I thought, this is really strange. <laughs> I didn't bring it up. He doesn't know who I am, but like, he just found me in the middle of this, <laughs> in the middle of the, of the South Pacific. And so, <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And then I, you know, next, the next town, I was in Samoa and the same, same kind of thing happened to me. And then I was in Australia and the same kind of thing happened to me. And I started like, what's going on here? So fast forward a couple of months and I'm in, I'm in India with my yoga teacher and we're going up to the Himalayas because there's an ashram up there. And as we're driving up the Himalayas, I'm looking to my left and looking to my right and there's just fields, fields of marijuana growing wild. And, and we get up to the Himalayas and I'm staying in this little guest house and as I'm walking up the steps, like it's just growing, like <laughs> it's just growing wild. And it kind of dawned on me that, you know, kind of, 
the way it's been presented to us in America is is different than than the reality of it. And so it started to loosen up and open up my my relationship with cannabis and and then studying Ayurveda and really understanding that herbs have been used for thousands of years as medicine, you know, it really gave me a, a grounding in in being able to look at cannabis differently. And and then my jumping into healing modalities and realizing the healing power of altered states of consciousness. You know, mm. I'm a craniosacral therapist and, and the most powerful experiences of transformation and change come because there's something about tuning into someone's craniosacral rhythm that puts them in an altered state. And so, you know, this has really fueled my interest. I started a PhD program studying depth psychology, you know, studying Jungian psychology and, and Jung's psychology is all about the need to develop a relationship with our own conscious. Mm-hmm. One of the things that cannabis has the potential to do is help lower our consciousness so that we can allow more of a interaction with our unconscious. And I think because our unconscious has been so ignored for so long when people use cannabis and, and those walls are lowered and they're starting to have a real connection to something more expansive than their little lives. It's addictive, you know, mm-hmm. it's addictive and it's easy to escape into that. You know, mm-hmm. but the reality at least the way I see it is we, we have to learn to live in two different worlds. And so I think part of cannabis becoming more widely acceptable and used is it serves a, a, the balance, a, a balancing function, you know, mm. that we've ignored our hearts for so long that now cannabis and, and the advancements in, in depth psychology especially are putting us back in tune with, with our heart, with our unconscious. And so I, I think, so the way I look at it is I realize this is, this is what I'm using cannabis for, you know? And so for me, I use cannabis... Uh, when I'm preparing for a, an astrological reading, you know, because mm-hmm. the way I understand the symbols or the archetypes is they, in Jung said they live in the unconscious, in the collective unconscious, in the deep unconscious. And so I, I find, you know, being able to move in that world with the symbols is, is, is highly productive. And, it, and it's a form of spiritual practice for me. Versus unconscious, just getting super high, now I'm stoned, let's chill. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, even even when I was playing football and I was being given a hard time for that, I didn't realize at the time. I just thought I'm doing something bad, and so um, this is why I feel it feels like this. But I didn't realize that the, that connection that people people were using cannabis to do that because that wasn't my experience of it. Wow, you know, my experience was when I use this, something opens up in me, and I connect to something that it seemed so alienated from me. And there was real purpose and growth and expansion in, in my use. And it, and it took me years to, to even allow myself to realize that. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, there becomes like the integration where maybe like like you're saying, like the lowering of the unconscious. But then you're you're kind of like snapping in or that's integrated, like easier. Like you don't have to maybe even be maybe you still do like it's meditation or, or that like, say, pre-reading state. But accessing those more connected states becomes easier and easier. Of course, it, it, it definitely becomes easier. You know, so uh, the way I think about it, and I think where people get into trouble is, is I did a class on Neptune um, mm-hmm. and I called it the great escape. Okay. Because you know? Neptune is that urge that we all have to transcend. 
mm-hmm. to to escape. You know, you're it's, <laughs> think of that old commercial, the Calgon commercial, and the woman's in the bathtub, and she's like, "Calgon, <laughs> take me away." Right? <laughs> this is Neptune. Like sometimes life is hard, you know, especially. Mm-hmm. You don't have a connection to, to something greater, you know? It's heavy and it's difficult. And we all need an escape, right? But for me, a, a healthy escape is where we es- escape, We like in meditation, right? We connect mm-hmm. to something more expansive. And from the, that place, we receive inspiration that helps us deal with the things that are stressing us out, you know? I think this is a, this is a, a, a human necessity. And I think if this function isn't, isn't honored and taken, taken care of, uh, life becomes too much and then we need to escape. And that's where you see the people that need to, to tune out. Right. And that's, that's shadow, that's shadow. But the idea of, of, in order to, I think to have a healthy escape is you have to be, have an established ego an established identity. This mm-hmm. is my life, a reference point. So that when there is an escape, you can receive inspiration that you can then bring back into the world and improve the quality of your, of your life experience. You know, I think that's the, that's the purpose. But if you don't have a conscious idea of what you're actually doing, then it turns into the unconscious escapism. Yeah, that feels very grounded how you're saying that, right? It's like that tuning in and like connecting. And I relate to that, like, oh, it'd just be so much more fun to be in the ethers sometimes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, okay, I think we're good. And it's yeah. like, not like I'm done. It's just like, you know, when you have that perspective of infinity and like an ever expanding like galaxies and just what, yeah. what, what creation is that feels like enticing. And then it's like feet on the ground, yeah. earth, like yeah. Linda Tate. Hi, <laughs> like, let's, let's go, you know? So towards the end of his life, Jung really focused on this this, this split that he noticed between spirit and matter. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think what we're attempting to do is to reconnect spirit and, and matter. You know, and I think even the the stigma around altered states of consciousness is just indicative of that split between spirit and matter. And matter again, like Saturn being. The American dream, you know, requires people to be worker drones, mm-hmm. you know, right? And we, we, take our, we take our responsibility from some authority figure, our boss, that tells us we have to work hard, right? That's matter, you know? And I think in that, in that worldview, anything, the, the negative stereotypes about cannabis use is people sit on the couch and they don't do anything. And I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a real critique, but I also understand it. You know, is that if you're stuck doing something that doesn't feel meaningful to you, um, one of the things that cannabis will do is it'll <laughs> it'll make that obvious. <laughs> it'll make that obvious. But the missing step is to okay, if this isn't meaningful, what is going to be meaningful for me, right? Where's the now like aligned action? Exactly, exactly. You can't be stuck in this the, the drunken stupor of of this isn't good for me. You have to move to, okay, what actually is going to nourish me? What actually is going to feed my soul? Like astrologically, and I have not like a ton of experience in astrology, but maybe more than some. Mm-hmm. And in Vedic astrology, I understand it's almost seems like a little bit more calculated maybe yes. than some others. And I don't know if that's how all astrology is, but I would imagine that, say, the drunken stupor, that could be very much a part of a certain point person's like purposeful point in their life to then come to, 
another point in their life. Well, you, you, I mean, you're, you're right on it. And I think a lot of um, addiction, you know, mm-hmm. it's really in this, the same archetypal field is the spiritual disease. Mm-hmm. You know? And that I, I think people who gravitate towards addiction, if we lived 200, 300 years ago, these would be the same people that would be living in uh, monasteries and convents. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, there, there is a, this archetype of needing to escape. It's the archetype mm-hmm. of the mystic. You know, and just in our culture, we don't really honor that. We don't really honor that. And so people are, it's kind of the shadow side. And so, you know, especially here in Venice, California, you know, you go down and you'll see rows of of homeless people. And for all intents and purposes, they seem really happy and content, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think this function has integrated into our culture. And I think the influx uh, and popularity, the growing popularity of cannabis is a, is a sign that we're, that's what we're attempting to do. But what's needed, I think, now is, is education about what cannabis is and what it, what it can do for better or, or for worse and to bring consciousness uh, to this area. Like, and I think, too, again, going back to groundedness, like, and practical, right? Like, there, there seems to be, like, a lot of information. And then how is that practical and grounded to like me as a person and, and you as a person. And, and as we're navigating like the legal landscape of cannabis, I think it makes it even harder to get to like practical application because it's not even the same all over our country. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're on it. And, and, you know, this is part of the, the evolutionary process. Um, and, you know, that's really when I came up with the idea of real wellness, that, that's, that was kind of the idea is, is I recognize that for me, real wellness requires some kind of relationship with our unconscious, you know, with the universe, um, some spiritual connection. And unless we acknowledge that and and fully embrace that, I don't think it's going to happen. And so hopefully we get to the point where people take responsibility for for their wellness. And, uh, you know, Jung said that the best thing that we could do to help the world improve is for each of us to face and deal with our own shadow. Which... yeah, which is to me is the that's the real that's the real personal responsibility. <laughs> the the real work. I was, that's tra- real work. <laughs> I was tra- <laughs> traveling traveling in uh I think I was in Denmark a few years ago and I found that it was like the ugliest literally like it felt like the ugliest tile. I have it in my bathroom and it was just this tile and it's like blue and dark blue in this black font that I don't love. Like I'm an aesthetic person. So like nothing about it was like aesthetically. And all it says is be kind to your shadow. Yeah. And it's, it was like way too much money. It was like 80 bucks for this like stupid, like not even pretty. And I bought this tile and I keep this tile in our bathroom and I look at this tile a lot and, uh, you know, it's the real work. Yeah, that's the real work. Uh, so if you could tell me, aside from cannabis, your top three favorite herbs, I'd love to hear. Oh, so first one that comes to mind is um, Dongwe. Dongwe. Dongwe, it's a, it's a form of, um, so it's a, it's a root and uh, it's in the, yeah, it's a form of angelica. And it's, it's wonderful because it's, it's in Chinese medicine, it's what we call a blood tonic and it's a blood mover. And so um, it's just great for so many, so many different things. You know, it's used specifically for um, uh, menstrual menstruation issues in, in women. 
um, because it's so it's so nourishing and nurturing to the to the blood. But it's used for trauma, for injuries. It just has so many amazing uses. Um, it's like kind of feels like clean circulation or like something about circulation. Yes, definitely circulation. Uh, but in a because cir- a lot of blood um, herbs that move the blood, they're blood thinners, mm-hmm. and so they can um, they they can be too harsh used over over a long period of time. But Dongwei will will move the blood, but it also builds the blood, cool. and so it doesn't, it doesn't deplete doesn't deplete you. And it, ginseng, I, I know it's it's cliche, but it's just such a it's just such a wonderful herb, you know. And and, and the, the Chinese medical point of view is that we're, we're all born with a certain amount of essence or gene, you know, mm-hmm. that's supposed to last us through our, our life. And, and kind of the whole Chinese medical system is built around protecting your essence so that you can live a long and, and productive life. And so that's why a lot of the focus is on lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're getting your chi or you're getting your energy, your sustenance from your lifestyle, then you don't have to drain your, your reserves. Um, and there are a few herbs that are really good at tonifying your reserves and ginseng is, is one of those one of those herbs and it's just great for anyone that's that's feeling worn down or or fatigued and my third favorite herb is uh black attractyloids it's called a thongzu in in pinyin or or mandarin that's e-a-n-g um c-h-u and it's uh <laughs> it's an herb and it's in the category of transforming damp. Um, transforming damned? Damp. Damp, Trans- okay. It's aromatic and it helps with digestion. And I just love it, you know? <laughs> I just I just love it. I mean, you know, because there's so much heavy, rich foods, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. We all have damp, pretty much. I've heard of some heavy, rich foods. Yeah, right. Sugar. Pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we all have some dampness. And so it's just a it's just a nice herb to have and you can add it to pretty much any formula and it, it has a nice nice aroma. And it's just just warm and co- warm and cozy herb. Awesome. One last question I have for you is in Ayurveda, I feel like I found mixed mixed reviews on cannabis. Yeah. And so meaning like how you use cannabis within Ayurveda. And I, you know, you speak highly of it. It seems like you're seeing this in India, like flourishing. And I, my understanding I would say is that it's like within balance or moderation, maybe. Um, But how does cannabis fit into Ayurveda? So it's, you know, it's convoluted by the, by stigma. That's what I'm like, what if, am I just getting a bunch of like propaganda? That's all, that's that's a large majority of it. So I'll just tell you my experience. So I don't, I'm obsessed with books. All right. So I'm a Gemini. Okay. I love, I love books. I love information. And when I was in my, like deep in my Ayurvedic phase, I was buying any book on Ayurveda that I could find. And I found this old book. It was written, not that old, but written in the Uh sixties on Ayurveda and they had a whole chapter on cannabis. I think I have this book. I had a whole chapter and I was like, I was like, what? I, I was like, what the, like, what's going on? And so I like, of course I opened the chapter and, and I got a lot of insight from it. And so I think there's a, there's a, a traditional way that they used um, 
cannabis, but that's been lost. Mm-hmm. That's been lost. And so I think I think if you if we went up to the in the Himalayas and we looked for an old school herbalist or doctor, they'd have a different perspective on on how to use on how to use cannabis. Meaning like they would pull it from their repertoire, perhaps like they would anything else exactly. to have a, a place. Exactly. Exactly. We've exactly. like over sensationalized cannabis as a healing modality. We have. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, I think yes and, and no. I, I think there's something symbolic about that it's been something that's been banned mm-hmm. and, and stigmatized, that it represents um, the the healing power of what's been pushed to shadow coming right. to And so I, I think that's the most, that's its most potent um, medicine. That's the most potent medicine about cannabis. Uh, and of course, there's going to be a physical correspondence. But, mm-hmm. but I really think that the mind opening aspect of it's requiring people to take something that's been shadow and, and been such a negative thing and to actually view it as something that can heal them. I think that's the most, that's the healing medicine. of In, Invite the healing to come. Exactly. exactly. And realizing that the healing is going to come from the shadow, from the places that, you know, we've rejected and, and resisted. That's that's a powerful ending note. Ricky, if there is anything you want to share or that you're feeling like on your heart to to mention, I'd love to hold the space for you to do that. Um, I mean, you know, just kind of how we started where big thing for me is right now I've been thinking about is personal responsibility, you know, and and it almost feels taboo to push people to take responsibility. It's weird. Mm-hmm. You know? and I, again, I think about parenting, you know, and like, what is my job as a parent? And, and at least for me, where I've landed is it's my job to hopefully prepare my children to take responsibility for their own lives. Why do you think that gets lost? Well, I think because I don't, I don't think we understand what our role of, as parents are. I think, our, you know, a lot of people seem to think that their role of parents is to protect their children from responsibility, <laughs> which I don't understand. But again, that's why it comes down to we have to like each sit with ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, what do we feel that we're personally responsible for? Mic drop. <laughs> thank you so much i i so appreciate you i uh i want to share your links to to your latest works in the show notes so i'll be sure to do that and i, I want to thank you again ricky this has been a, a dream and i hope everyone's gathered something and wherever you are on your healing journey knowing that you always have a chance to look in the mirror for personal responsibility yeah yeah That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. (laughs) Head on over to Instagram at lilolife.co. Give me a like or a follow. And lilolife.co as the website. Check out the free resources. Password is Lila and things there that will change your life if you let them. Have a powerful week and see you next week.